0: This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 8th of September, and here is my absolutely newsworthy co-host,
1: Jan. Newsworthy. Mm. I yeah, it covers a multitude of sins, it doesn't it? <laughs> I didn't do it. Nobody saw me. Nobody can prove anything. Is that right?
0: Mm. Okay. Well, on that slightly suspicious note... <laughs> We are we are suspending our, our Kubernetes and containers and all things uh, saga for a, a news episode. There's some news, and it's always good to talk about some news. So we thought we would uh, introduce a little uh, light hold on that and instead talk to you about some tech news that we think is interesting.
1: Yep. I mean, we've had three consecutive uh, container-based episodes. It's something new we're trying to have a bit of a more episodical, longer storytelling. So please let us know if that's something you like or dislike. We're happy to oblige. But we thought it was good to have a bit of a break and uh, recap on three weeks of news. It's a lot of news. Indeed.
0: Indeed. So let's see. First up in the the wonderful world of news is an absolutely totally definitely not uh, at all biased article <laughs> which is uh talking about the fact that uh cloud repatriation isn't a thing. Um so to be clear this isn't a this is not a uh, AWS um article per se it's done by a, a separate organisation, but they are obviously, you know, it's called Last Week in AWS. They're fairly invested <laughs> in the in whole things
1: AWS. There might be some um, conscious or unconscious bias involved. Let's call it that. It's it's very possible. It's
0: very <laughs> possible. Um, so I, I suppose to to kind of get started, like cloud repatriation. The the mm-hmm. idea behind it. Is or the the term what it means is organizations that have moved to cloud at some point in time, uh, moving back to their on-prem or colo or other um, solutions or services, and uh, that's that's what the term means, and and this article is is basically suggesting that. That's all garbage. Nobody's doing that. Uh, you know, no, it's, 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 it's all insanity. Don't, don't believe, uh, a thing you say. And, you know, of course they, they talk about a few, um, uh, sort of a few options, uh, of, of organizations that, you know, have, have done that. Like, so Dropbox is one that they mention, and, um, Uh, Zynga is another one, and Dropbox, obviously they have a very specific um, use case, it's actually not AWS everything, blah, blah, blah. Zynga, they they sort of migrated from AWS back to on-prem, had a horrible experience and then went back to AWS. So the the article is is framed around this. Oh, you know, it, it, nobody's doing it. The only people actually doing this are, you know, hardware vendors that want to sell you hardware and software vendors that want to sell you on prem software, and you know, laggards that uh, that that are out of touch with reality. So like this I, this started an interesting conversation between Jan and myself because I think we're. We're both calling like different levels of BS on this particular uh, article, but I mean, I've I've talked a bit about this, but Yon, what's what's your what's your view on cloud
1: repatriation? Um, it it's a tough one. It's one to think about and write a big blog about and <laughs> say nothing much <laughs> at all, because I mean, nobody can tell anybody what's best or bad for your organization. It always, yeah. it depends, both on my professional life and my private life. Anytime somebody tells you this is good, this is bad, one thing is sure, they're lying, because nothing is purely good or bad. <laughs> and cloud, I mean, it has its advantages. But contrary to all of the, I think you prefer to call them snake oil, snake oil salesmen <laughs> may say, it's not ideal. And for me personally, actually, the place where you should run your stuff should be pretty much, maybe not in lockstep, but still growing or changing or maturing with the company organization product that you're building. And the flexibility of cloud can have a lot of positives at a certain maturity level of your company organization, which can become a deficit when you become bigger or smaller or, globally distributed or not, integrations with other things, subsidiaries, whatever. And that's where you have to look at where your stuff should run. And considering nothing is perfect, the hybrid uh, solution is quite possibly the the, the, the worst bad, the least bad of all. <laughs> I don't know. Again, even that depends on the situation there. But just to say that uh, cloud repatriation, which is a horrible term, I'd say, uh, yeah. is always bad, except if you're in this very specific niche uh, organization. I don't buy it. No. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned
0: when we were talking about this before, before we even started recording is you, you mentioned that like cloud is just a tool it's just another tool in the toolbox you know on prem is another tool you can implement these things really well or you can implement them really badly you know just because you have a a good experience on prem and a bad experience on cloud um that doesn't necessarily mean that cloud wasn't the right fit for you you know we we've we've talked through like the the life cycle of migrating to cloud do you lift and shift? Do you rebuild in microservices? Do you embrace all the cloud native components? Do you, you know, there's there's so many different variables in this that, as you say, like to, to point blank say, oh, nobody's doing this. Anyone that tells you is doing this is full of shit. Um, then like that's that's just clearly not not re- not realistic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't make any sense. So I think what this boils down to for me is, uh, unsurprisingly, don't let a a blog post (laughs) or even a podcast um, tell you what's right for you. You know, do your own discovery. um, Look into it yourself. Like, use these different data sources to inform, but, like, this is... Just because uh, a particular blog post says no one's doing this thing, that doesn't mean that it you know it, it, it doesn't mean anything for your particular use case.
1: Use your own common sense. Yeah, and also what's right for you will change over time. Small companies yeah. have a different view than bigger and bigger and bigger companies, and I think it actually makes sense. The example he gave there for the um, Dropbox, it was a thing that at a certain point they became big enough that they were able to build their own cloud, because basically Dropbox, even though they went out of public cloud, they're still very much running, I believe, a cloud-based solution, because they still have the benefit of having auto-scaling happening, uh, follow the sun kind of stuff, and all that stuff, because they are that big now. And at that point, where the article says they're repatriating out of cloud, it actually means repatriating out of public cloud. And that's, again, yeah. the differentiation between the, the toolkit, the, the, the tool, the utility, the, the hammer, the nail. Well, sometimes you need a hammer, sometimes you need an electric saw or something like that, or a chainsaw, because the size of the thing you're doing is changing. And if at a certain point you're big enough to buy your own bulldozers, then why would you still rent them? It's a whole, it's a whole capex, opex uh, conf- uh, discussion as well of where is my money best spent? And at a certain scale yeah. is a very important decision factor here to decide if you should outsource or insource, if that's a word, <laughs> uh, and yeah, decide on yeah. based on that what at that point in time with the prospects that you probably are predicting to have some kind of business plan, hopefully, how that should uh, de- evolve. And that for me is, yeah.
0: It, and it's also it's not just a obviously it's not just a scale thing it's a it's a prioritization thing it's a what do you want your people spending their time on thing you know you could be at very high scale, but you could decide it's just not worth your time and effort to um you know to to go and spend yep. whatever it is um in terms of human human capital
1: on on getting that particular thing up and running. Or refactor to become more microservices cloud oriented if you don't have the yeah. knowledge or money to outsource that. Don't go to a cloud. Yeah. Now I do want to, my f- finishing uh, thought about this one is that don't do this lightly. Don't just uh, change every 14 days from on-premise to cloud because that's going to kill you. You're gonna, not going to have happy people. Don't do that. Always make sure you do it good business plan, investigation, project planning, things like that, and try to, whichever way you go, always try to make it more than just a change of infrastructure. Try to add more loose coupling. Microservices are a good thing, usually, not always, but make sure you also take that kind of stuff into account just to make sure that it's not just... Putting your problem somewhere else, but trying to grow and adapt and adjust and improve uh, all, along the way. Yeah, indeed.
0: So, with uh, with that one out of the way, next up is uh, I, I think the title is awesome. By the way, technology can't predict crime; it can only weaponize a proximity to policing.
1: Weaponize proximity to policing.
0: Yeah, so we, we we'll get there, but. <laughs> The the article is is really about a about the I guess the dangers or the, either the dangers or the challenges depending on your I guess your your uh, your view on this but predictive policing is is increasingly being seen as something that is uh, very dangerous uh, it's it's the it's the act of you know, data-driven direction of resources to specific areas because historically things have, you know, the data suggests that that's a high crime location and therefore that's where you should send your, your you know, your limited resources should be focused in those particular areas. Now, there's a... Um, there's a so an interesting sort of switch around here. So Santa Cruz, this article is it sort of starts off talking about it was the first uh, city in the US to actually start this um, this sort of technology in this program back in two thousand and eleven. So like, this is not this is not something that's only been running for just a few years. This is something that's been around you know in various degrees of sophistication for quite some time. But in so they, the program started in 2011, they actually banned, they became the first city in the US to ban it in June 2020. So, you know, after nine years of doing this, they've realized that actually it's had a huge kind of negative impact on on their ability to, to sort of keep people safe. And it, it's... On, it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of strange because on the on the outset, you would think, well, surely it just makes sense. Like if the data says that, um, uh, I mean, the example used in the article somewhere is, um, you know, crimes are committed in this alleyway on Thursdays, then surely you should send your, you know, your police resources you know, to that alleyway and nearby alleyways every Thursday and, and you know, make sure that there's no crimes being committed. But there's, there's a few sort of things that then start to happen. So one is you immediately, like you're sending uh, law enforcement resources to a particular location. They immediately then start to think that, you know, suspiciously of anybody in that area that sort of um, you know is that person and you know are they the person that's about to commit that crime and so have that very biased view from the outset because the data tells them that crimes are likely to happen at that point you know at that time you then also have the fact that these algorithms are being driven by data and as we always say like the best you can you can almost you can never have well maybe not never have too much data but you need to keep feeding um, these algorithms data you need to keep adjusting the models you need to keep uh, retraining the models but if the data that you're feeding them is you know maybe they, they continually catch people on a Thursday in these uh, in, the, in these alleyways performing nefarious acts it will continually reinforce that oh yeah that that anyway that's the the crime den center of the entire city and you'll continue to focus on that completely missing sort of everything else that's going on the other kind of aspect of this is that you've got um again it's all driven by the data and it's not it's it's not covering at all any of the human aspects of this so Certain communities, certain um, kind of racial groups, are less prone to reporting crime through, you know, fear of um, what might happen if they do so, and you you end up in this again, this position of this like vicious cycle of um, of almost sort of, uh, I guess, oppression in some cases where you because the data tells you to you pull police or law enforcement resources from the areas that actually common sense would say you know, maybe they're more needed there so the the article covers a load of great areas it talks about um the sort of the the challenges of uh, facial recognition and how that plays into this and how that's had you know, so many of, of the same kind of issues with um, racial prejudice, kind of being built into it, and you know, all these kind of other things. So it, it's sort of the 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 core of this, to me. I mean, it, this is a it's a terrible sort of situation, but to me, it's all it all goes down to the uh, the core issue of. If you don't understand the biases in your data, like take take all of this law enforcement, crime, everything else out of this, and just thinking about the core challenges, if you don't understand the biases in your data, then you're you're starting from a you know a, a fundamentally flawed position and
1: it will it will only get worse from there. Yeah, I mean at just- a and thanks for the explanation. I didn't read this article, so I'm, I had Dave just uh, educate me as well. But you started saying <laughs> that they kind of uh, binned the whole project after six or nine years, something like nine that. Nine years, nine years. Do they say why? Because it's one thing for the tools to be bad, and it's another thing for the how did I use the tool to have been bad. And over time, definitely in the last year or so, the the whole uh, inherent biases on race and stuff like that in a lot of machine learning algorithms have surfaced. And of course, it's bad that that was the case, but that's been found. The models can be adjusted, can be made less biased. No model will ever be unbiased because that's well, they're built by biased people. <laughs> They'll be biased yeah. models, but you want to refrain that. So. I'm not sure if the, uh, if the article says anything about this, but it would be sad if they just kind of throw the, the, the baby with the bathwater instead of trying to overcome the issues and retrain the algorithms to make them less biased. Because, I mean, yes, you're right. Because the code there on the Thursday, because program says it's a bad alleyway, you will find more things there. But the key word in that phrase is you will find more things there. It's not that more things are happening there it's just that Correct. more things are happening even perhaps the less grievous ones i mean the murders i hopefully always capped uh, always caught but the i don't know bullying going on just to go from one extreme to another extreme uh, might be unnoticed but now that more uh, law enforcement on the streets that's also gets getting caught that is still a good thing uh, is it the optimal uh, deployment of those law enforcement officers or not that's something that's to be discussed, and maybe that's a waste of, uh, of of limited resource. But the biased algorithm didn't create crime. It's not because well, yes, yeah, sometimes no. just because you have law enforcement there, they will get um, uh, I don't know uh, hooligans coming there just to get a fight. There's probably going to be that. I would assume that's marginal. But yeah, I mean yes, the algorithm wasn't perfect. It might have been better, but was it actually bad enough? To just bin the whole thing,
0: yeah, so there is actually there is actually some information about that it doesn't go into a, a huge amount of, of information but there is some some information on that now, one of the things to bear in mind is I think there is a list here um, of the the sort of the primary um, sort of organizations involving in it. So there have been some academic organizations, um, but a lot of it is sort of private companies um, and and academic uh, institutions. So things like, I'm sure I've seen, no, I can't, I can't find the list, but there's a list of like the, a lot of the, the technologies that are used in in this in many cases and it's things that are very very um you know very closed very uh very opaque very difficult to actually um get any transparency on so the and and that's on the the provider's side if you like so like one example talks about the so these things are having a negative impact on um, on the, the, the sort of the civil society, and they're really really expensive as well. So <laughs> the LAPD uh, talks about paying uh, twenty million dollars over the course of nine years to use Palantir's predictive technology just just alone, that, and that's one of uh, a suite of technologies that they were using. So. The there's the there's the lack of transparency in the predicting tools. There's the the when the data is being used seems to be in many cases unclear. The data itself being I think in many cases fundamentally flawed. Um and so it it, it seems like the it almost seems like a perfect storm of, <laughs> of kind of, of of issues, and then on top of that you add. I mean, uh, this is the U.S., so you know, constitutional concerns when you've got, you know, people going to a certain location because a model, an algorithm, tells them that you know something, something may happen here, and. You know, immediately treating people as potential perpetrators just creates a natural tension. Even if it's subconsciously, mm-hmm. you know, if a if a if a system is telling you that bad things are going to happen here, you're going to be looking at every person that you see, and you know, it, is this the person that's going to do the bad thing that the system has told me? It's 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 already starting out as a, a sort of from a very negative perspective. Um, so it it's kind of it's it's an interesting article. There is actually a a minority report reference at the end of it. Uh, I, if you're if thinking. you're sort of interested in this sort of um, this side of things, I think it is a it's a it's a good article to actually go and read in depth because it is quite lengthy. But for me, like t- you can take all the law enforcement side out of it and the core conversation the
1: core arguments here all still a hundred percent apply. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering here if the the reason is isn't that they started this a decade ago. I mean 10 years ago this was an in infancy. I mean neural networks, TensorFlow hadn't even been no. heard of. I mean neural networks, no, yes, it... but the... hmm? I, I don't
0: I don't think so. I like Palantir is a cutting-edge organization. Like they're their, their tech does not stand still like this is not a I kind
1: of but they started 10 years ago that,
0: yeah but they, it will be always evolving like they won't
1: have just rolled this out no 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 they won't have rolled this out 10 years ago and never touched it i agree that but uh Palantir is a closed source environment right we talked about True. the big stuff and most of yeah. the advancements in ai neural netters have been in the open source environment and uh, I don't know, Palantir myself. I'm sure Palantir would disagree, but okay. Exact, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they'll disagree and they'll be less likely to incorporate to show weakness at that point. So I think uh, I would, yeah, I think I would expect that if something would start today and then you look next 10 years, there would be a different. I don't know. You can't, yeah. There's no crystal ball, of course, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh well who knew ai isn't the super copy
0: we wanted it to be no unfortunately not and we still don't have those really really cool displays either but never mind <laughs> <sighs> anyway moving on moving on yep, awesome we'll just, for today. Uh, yeah we'll just uh talk briefly about this and then and then wrap it up but I I saw this and I thought, this is really, really cool. But my, um, my enthusiasm for these kinds of, of technologies is always really heavily tempered. And so like, we can talk about Telltale and all of the amazing application monitoring, you know, goodness that it has. Um, you know, lots of different data sources and and how it does an intelligent way of of kind of monitoring and alerting and coming up with a metric for application health and incident management and deployment monitoring. And, oh, it's all so wonderful. But to me, this is an example of um, yet another tool developed by, you know, definitely one of the luminary technology organizations in in this sort of microservices cloud native space. Like Netflix, you can guarantee, like if you go to one of their presentations at a major conference, like it'll be cool, it'll be interesting, they'll be doing amazing stuff, they'll be doing it at a scale that blows your socks, your top, your shirt, your eyes out of your head and and it'll it'll look amazing, but <laughs> these these things are always um, like they're released and they're very they're very tailored to Netflix and their particular environment, their particular ecosystem, their tooling, their integrations and I know they do some effort to. Uh, when they open source these or when they sort of um release them to the world they they go through the the effort of of sort of doing some modifications to them but realistically most of this effort is about re- removing stuff from um from the the application or from the project that is you know sensitive to Netflix it's they they don't they don't spend time and effort in you know creating something that is open uh, and easily sort of integratable with anybody's technology platform because that's that's not in their interest and that's why they they release these things to the sort of the wider world to see if a community would you know will build out from them but uh, I while I I think there's a lot of really good ideas in, mm-hmm. in Telltale, I very much doubt that we will see any organizations in the near future kind of adopting it wholesale. Yeah. You know, maybe a community will build around it over time. But I, I think it's a real, it's a cycle that we see happening Fairly often, um, where things get kind of cool, little tools get kind of punted over the wall from you know behind closed doors out to the open source, and then they just sort of die on the vine. From from what I can see, and there are definitely some examples where that hasn't happened. Like, things like um, oh, I don't know, Superset or I mean Hadoop. Um, Kubernetes, yeah, there's, there's definitely some some serious examples of, of where something developed by one tech giant, you know, bumps over into open source and, and does build a community and does gain adoption. But I see far more of them that just kind of fade away and you see a you know a GitHub repo X number of years later that you know hasn't had a commit to it in all of that time and you just think,
1: hmm, it's a bit sad. Yeah, I'm not sure how the Netflix people themselves look at this, but for me, I think it's good that this stuff gets done. I mean, Netflix is one of the few companies in the world that is big enough, has enough data and environment to actually build something cool. They open source it, which is great. But I wouldn't expect the goal of them to be that other people would just take this and deploy it and start running with it as is. I think this has more value in a inspiration matter. They've done something yeah. cool. They've built a new visualization, a new idea on how you can get uh, less bottlenecks and getting all the data into the system. There's a bunch of things that can still be improved in existing uh, monitoring observability platforms today. And if they have something yeah. in their solution that can be not a cut and paste option, I'm not talking about that, but more of ideas generation, then it's a good thing because it can help existing communities grow. And if you think of things like Kubernetes, I think you mentioned, and Hadoop, the reason that those became more than just inspiration, but big platforms on themselves was because of the huge I'm not going to say leap, because that always means better. It doesn't have to be better, it could be sideways. But a huge difference from the existing status quo that there was nothing else to take those inspirational points and put them in, because there was nothing existing. So they became kind of the granddaddy source of that thing. Uh, just like Hadoop kind of evolved and matured into different kind of technologies and is now a proud grandfather of a lot of the big data and smaller data solutions you have today, Kubernetes, I would not be surprised if in 10 years, because Hadoop is like 10 years old as well now, that Kubernetes, the project, also still is fondly remembered, but has spawned a mass of inspiration-led other uh, projects and yeah, that way it works. So yeah, for this Telltale with the web page on again, it, It's a nice read, it's a nice idea, it it gives insight on how you can actually build something like this, what you should uh, take away, what you should have set up, not set up, and it's an interesting use case discussion. I don't think at the moment it has the community to just be a uh, redistributable tool that you could just deploy in your own environment, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. The I suppose the the final piece you, you mentioned the the motivation here. If you just uh, if you scroll right down to the very very bottom of the article where the the Telltale article is um, the Telltale sorry logo is, um, that final kind of paragraph there, I think is probably a good chunk of the motivation of doing this. You're right, it's inspirational, but it's also If you're passionate about observability, then come talk to us. (laughs)
1: There's
0: a decent chunk of (laughs) Yeah, there's a decent chunk of recruiting pitch. And like absolutely, like why why would you not? Why would you not do that?
1: I mean if that's the the adware attached to a a decent article like this, I'll take it any day above a commercial for some kind of insurance or something.
0: Yeah. And and I think I actually may need to take back some of what I've said. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Because um, I was fairly certain that they had actually released this as open source. but yes, it You said so. You told me so. I know, but it doesn't actually have, or at least not yet. They. This is interesting. So I was just... Uh, just Taking a look at uh, the Netflix github repos, and while many of the um, the sort of components they talk about here so they talk about um, spinnaker that they use for mm-hmm. uh, deployments and things like that actually telltale is not open sourced so maybe mm-hmm. this maybe this is more even more um, pitch. inspirational as you mentioned <laughs> than uh, than I was thinking i was I, I made the uh, yeah, the incorrect assumption that this was something that they had open source. Now, maybe they will. This this only came out August fourteenth, but usually they're fairly
1: prompt on that. So yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. It's it's interesting that people like us we start with the assumption that people open source yeah. things these days. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're such
0: optimistic people, aren't we? We are. We are. And on that thoroughly optimistic note... <laughs> it's
1: my turn to say goodbye. So unless you have anything else to add... Nothing else from me. Then that's all the time you have for news today. You can support our podcast. You can become to Patreon. Can, every contribution helps. We thank our patrons every episode. Or if we forget sometime, then we'll do it twice. We're on YouTube. <laughs> you can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do YouTube stuff. We have a website at www.roaringelephant.org where you can find the link to the Patreon page and more information about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter using the #RoaringElephant tag. You can also send feedback by old-style email to podcast atroaringelephant.org. I can't talk anymore. podcast See, I can do this. If you have any hints, tips, things you, think, things you think we should take a look at, let us know. We're happy to go oblige. Until next time, my name is all news out Jon and my name is I can still talk Dave yes but you do it slower than I do so I still win we look forward to talking to you next week goodbye see you then